0: Welcome to the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast where we dive deep into the remarkable journeys of our incredible guests. Join us as we uncover their personal transformations, business triumphs, educational insights, health and wellness discoveries and the mindset shifts that have paved their way to success. Get ready to be inspired and motivated to reinvent your own life and become the best version of yourself. Get ready Let's roll.
1: Good morning and welcome to today's episode of Rolling Real with Renard. My name is Kevin Collins and I will be hosting today's podcast. I'm very excited to introduce my guest, Renard Brown. Welcome, Renard.
0: Well, thank you very much, Kevin.
1: It's fun to be on this side of the table. Yeah, so you're not used to being over there, so it's a little different. So <laughs> I can see you squirming in your chair already. That's good. Oh, yeah. Please save me someone. <laughs> so for any new listeners, Renard Brown is the host of Rolling Real with Renard, obviously. Uh, He's also the owner of Gracie Lake Norman, a third
0: degree black belt and a father of two boys and a husband. Yeah, don't forget the husband, Kevin. Otherwise, you're going to get karate chopped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have I have her in here, too. I, I couldn't leave her out completely or I would there'd be held to pay. Um, so, okay. So without further ado, um,
0: unless you have something you want to add. Yeah. So it's really important for people to understand the relationship that Kevin and I have. And it's like, hey, why is this guy uh, on you know the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast? And who is Kevin? And so I thought it would be easy for me to say it, but I think it's going to be easier for you to just give us like a, a just a quick rundown of like, who's Kevin? What do you like to do, man? And, uh, you know, how did we meet? Uh, I have lived
1: down the street like a mile on a houseboat for three years that I got from Dale Earnhardt Jr. on July 1st of 2020. And for like a year I've been thinking about doing jujitsu and looked at Cornelius and Davidson. Like, "Eh, if it's that far away, I'm probably not going to drive on a, a day after work, you know, I'm tired And I decided to look again and try to find some place a little bit closer and Gracie Lake Norman popped up and I saw a lug nut and I looked at the map and realized that it's right off of Stutz. And I was like, so excited that like 10 minutes later I got in the car and drove over here and you were doing a lesson or something or finished up a kid's class. Um, You're talking to a couple of people and I, I just sat down and waited for like 20 minutes and, you know, talked to you and, and got the tour, the royal tour, saw the um, discomfort club uh, area with the freezer full of 32 degree water. And, and just uh, we talked about David Goggins a little bit. We're both fans of his and uh, just kind of clicked. And being that it's a mile away and so close, you can't not come you know, I could be there in three minutes. Let's go. (laughs) Heck yeah. So, uh, other than that, I'm a crane operator. I operate a 30 or 40 ton, uh, mobile truck crane and live on a houseboat. I got my cat Binky. She's the houseboat cat. So kind of unusual for a cat to live on a boat. She's, (laughs) she digs it. Um, and so basically in my free time, I just go out on the lake and hang out with friends and cook out
0: and swim and have some cocktails and just, you know, Enjoy life. Oh, perfect, man. So, uh, what are we going to be doing today uh, during the uh, during this podcast session? We are going to be digging deep into who is Renard Brown. Just for the records, no, I did not have relations with that <laughs> woman, and I did not inhale. <laughs> that will be determined in today's episode.
1: <laughs> all right, let's uh, get going. All right, so without further ado, let's go back to the very beginning. Where you start anything is at the foundation So, tell us where you were
0: born and what state you grew up in. Yeah, so I was born in Buffalo, New York. Uh, And so, that was, what, 1976? That makes me 47 years old. Wow, I thought you were a lot older than that. Oh, that's (laughs) nice. That's really, really nice. Thank you, man. Hey, if I need to boost my self-esteem, I'm just going to ask you, man. Come (laughs) on. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So, would you say that you grew up poor, middle class, wealthy? All right. So early on, we grew up on uh, Goodyear Avenue uh, in Buffalo, New York. And so, for anyone who has access to the internet, uh, I don't know if they use Google Earth anymore, but um, the east side of Buffalo is incredibly poor. It was gang infested, prostitutes, pimps, gang members, of course, drugs, you know, crime galore. And uh, we grew up. On this, like one of the worst streets that you can grow up on. And everything on the east side of Buffalo is basically. Very sectioned off by the streets, and so back then, if you lived on Goodyear, that was like there was a gang called GYC, Goodyear Crew. Uh, then they also had these dudes called the LA Boys, and then they had the uh, the Crips, right there. So there were essentially three gangs right on our street, right there, and in, in the uh, in the neighborhood. And so to say, you know, was it poor? Yeah, people are going to rob, steal. Um, I was robbed. I can't even tell you how many times, you know, so back then we would go, my mother would give me 75 cents or maybe sometimes a dollar. She'd say, all right, Hey, look, here's a dollar. Go, go to the corner store and buy me a pack of cools, cools being cigarettes. So you can buy cigarettes even at the age of like five years old. You just go in, pay the guy the money and he gives you a pack of cigarettes. Uh, So going to the just going to the corner store was like a battle in itself because you knew that you were going to get jumped. It was guaranteed. Just like, all right, man, we're going to fight. and so every time just to go to the store to get anything, guys uh, pocket check you, you know, start running through your pockets. What do you got? What do you got on you? And then start feeling, you know, patting you down, reaching in on your pockets. And if you allow it once, dude, that's it. Everyone's going to know about you. You can you can punk that kid. So as soon as they did it, I didn't know what in the world was happening. And then after a while, you're just like, no, this is this is not happening because they would take the money and my mother would get upset with me as if I like I took it. I was like, no, I got jumped. And so uh, and my brother, he never was for some reason. He never no one ever messed with him. It was always me. You know, I was always the uh, like the target was your brother um, older or younger? He's an, he was older, but we we're the same size. You know, we we're the same size. We we're kids. So people would, I was always walking first and I was the one who had the money. Maybe they knew that. But long story short, um, we would just, it got to the point where as soon as I walk up to the corner store, I would just start throwing a punch. It was just like it's on right then and there. It doesn't matter because you know you're going to get jumped anyway. So you're five, six years old. Um, you learn to fight really quick. Otherwise, they'll just—they're going to keep going. Very interesting. Were you? Did they ever try to force
1: you into the gang? Um, no, um, just
0: because of our age. Yeah. Did you guys move away as you got older towards? Yeah, years? yeah. So what happened? There was an incident that happened. So. There, I'm not mention. I can't mention any names, uh, just because the person's name that I would mention is uh, um, the drug world knows about this guy. Uh, he's no longer here, but I just, it's better that I just don't say anything. So let me just say this. Um, I witnessed, I was on my way to the corner store, and I don't know what gang it was, but I was on my way to the corner store, and I saw a guy on the ground, and like three or four dudes jumping on a sign, on a stop sign, with the guy's head. You know, they put, they knocked him down, put the stop sign, literally took the stop sign out of the street, put the word "stop." You know, he put it there, and they kept jumping on his head. They kept jumping on the stop sign. To kill him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at it, and I remember uh, back then they were like, "Yo, what's up?" Uh, and they gave me, you know, I had a nickname back then, so they were like, "Yo, what's up, man?" And I go, "Nothing." And then I just kept walking. Went to the corner store, got up pack of cigarettes, and grabbed some fishies, little Swedish fish, and then you know, walking back, and you know, they were still doing it. That gives you an idea. So did they kill him? Yeah. Well, so here's what happened. I go in, give my mother the cigarettes. I had a little brown paper bag full of fishies, right? And uh, I just started watching cartoons. So my father uh, came home, and he was just like, hey, did you see what happened? And I was like, where? He was just like, on the street. And I was like, no. He goes, did you see any fights? I said, oh, yeah. I said, there was a guy who uh, got uh, jumped and that was all it was. And he was just like, "Oh, okay." And uh, I just went back to watching cartoons. Well, yeah. Later on, that guy did die. Yeah, he did die. And I just witnessed, I was like fresh on the scene watching it right there. So you become really immune to things. So when you see people, you know, dying or falling, you know, like in New York City, you're so immune. It's like, it's not even a big deal. Gunshots. Everyone, we slept on these nasty ass, uh, mattresses that, yeah, obviously we're kids. We're going to piss the bed. So we didn't have full size mattresses because there was drive bys. And so people would shoot. At least if we're on low on the ground, we're not going to get hit. So that's how you slide. Right, they're shooting in the windows. They're shooting yeah. higher. Right. Yeah, so you shoot out. So to say that we grew up poor, we were on government assistance. So we got welfare, uh, government block cheese. And so a lot of people know about that. And that big old uh, circular, um, you know, what is it, cardboard box uh government peanut butter which choke you (laughs) and so yeah so food stamp man everything from food stamps uh government cheese to uh government peanut butter and then powdered milk you know uh just add water kind of deal Mm -hmm. roaches (laughs) so yeah what did your father do for a living uh back then you know it's, it's it's easy to say it now but back then um, he you know did odd and end jobs and then he got a job at working at Chevy you know uh, you know GM so he worked at GM you know uh, for quite some time and then you know did other odds and ends um, you know to uh, to make ends meet right there so we we'll just some um, that. The obvious question
1: for somebody that's gone as far in jiu-jitsu as you have is, were your parents involved in martial arts?
0: Absolutely not. No, uh, that was not... Anything, my parents weren't, you know, supportive in that regard because we didn't have martial arts. That's the thing. Martial arts is a privilege uh, that was only afforded to people with better socioeconomical statuses. Yeah, they had, they didn't have the time or the inclinations.
1: They're trying to survive and raise their kids, you know, and yeah. keep, keep them alive. Let alone
0: them, you know, let alone pay for the actual classes. Let alone have the facility in your area to be able to train. So it was just never ever going to happen. So for people. Who do have access to um, a facility where they can actually learn a skill? That's amazing. It was just never afforded to us. We never had that. We ate expired food. So the foods that you would get from the corner store, they're always expired by like two to three years. And then they would just resell it to you at a higher price. So uh, my parents were not involved in that process. I played, uh, I didn't, when we lived in, on the east side of Buffalo, um, we never played sports. We play, you know, we play tackle football in the streets. So we didn't have grass. Gutter ball, kickball. No, you know, know, no, no, no. In inner city sports. sports. Yeah, we like, yeah, kickball, uh, but football, tackle football in the streets. That was like a big deal. That and slap boxing. That's all we would do. You'd slap box, uh, play football. Uh, we didn't play basketball back then, and then of course kickball. So, oh, when was your first exposure
1: to any kind of martial arts? Was it was it jujitsu, or did you start in something else? In no. That?
0: So, initially, when we were all right, so fast forward, um, we moved. We moved out after that incident with the guy. Um, you know, years later, we ended up moving out uh, to North Buffalo, and then moved to a town called Amherst. And um, you know, I remember. Going on Hurdle Avenue in Buffalo, North Buffalo. Buffalo is one of the most. It's not. It's not like it now. But before, it was like the most segregated place in America. Uh, I've been all over the country multiple times and all over the world. And I can tell you by far like the most segregated place I've ever been to the place that I've received, um, more discrimination. I've never been discriminated or felt even remotely discriminated in North Carolina. And We've been here since 2001 Buffalo. Absolutely. If you close your eyes, spin around, you know, exactly. If you see a black guy, you're in the east side of Buffalo. You spin around, you see a Puerto Rican guy, you're in the west side. You spin around, you see a guy who's Italian, you're in North Buffalo. You spin around, uh, you see the Irish or the Polish, you're in South Buffalo. That's how the lines were very, very defined. It's crazy that you experienced more racism and
1: segregation in New York than you did in North Carolina, which. Obviously, used to be a slave state,
0: so it's kind (laughs) of crazy. Yeah, Yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. So, as far as like the experience, once we moved, I uh, found I was watching like all those kung fu theater. Uh, shows, you know, where, you know, the guys are just like, hey, you know, you look at the old Chinese masters. And I was like, man, I want to learn that stuff. And then Steven Seagal came out and I was like, man, I want to learn that. That is like the hardcore stuff. So I went to, I went to an Aikido place in Buffalo, right on Hurdle Avenue. And the guy was literally teaching Aikido out of a book. He would, he would uh, go onto the class, teach a few moves, come back, and then look at the book, and I'm watching this, and he's teaching a gun self-defense, and I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, hell no. So that got turned off by that. And then um, years later, we moved, my wife and I actually weren't married, but we moved to uh, North Carolina, and then I got introduced to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but that wasn't by choice. I initially came here because I wanted to, um, not. I initially went to meet, the Aikido instructor, and I just wanted to finish, you know, learn Aikido because I didn't Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was never even mentioned to me back in 2001. The instructors blew me off, never showed up. So there was the guy who was subleasing and he taught Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And so I was like, Yeah, man, is so and so here? And he was just like, No, that guy's not here. He goes, By the way, uh, you don't want to learn Aikido. I was like, What? He goes, you don't want to learn Aikido. I was like, why not? He goes, the fight ends up on the ground. You want to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was like, what's that? And then he told me, and I was like, well, hell, I'm already here. I may as well do a class. Now, my first class, a 16-year-old kid named uh, Joey Keller. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I was 6'4", 247, 248 pounds. All I did was lift weights. Um, And this kid... I. Thought he was gonna break my arm, and so I reached back to punch him in his face. And then, as I was, you know, as I was going forward, two big dudes grabbed me, and they're like, "He's up, man! He's up, brother! He's up!" I said, "Man, get the hell off of me!" I said, "This motherfucker trying to hurt me." I said, "I'm gonna beat his ass." I was like, "Forget this, man!" I was like, "I'm not doing any jujitsu." I was like, "I'm gonna stomp! A, I'm gonna stomp a hole in him." So I was ready to fight. And then the guys grabbed me. It turned out they're Jimmy Buffett's bodyguards, and we became best friends for like 14 years, man. So we're still, you know, friends. Jimmy Buffett, the singer. Yeah, Jimmy Buffett, wow. the singer. Yeah. So it's two bodyguards. So those guys right behind you, right there. You get free tickets to the concerts. So. Right, I don't want to talk about that, man. <laughs> okay. Don't <I'm gonna laughs> <And>, get <laughs> <everybody> in trouble. <laughs> yeah. No. It was just like I, all. I, all I'm saying is, man, I am. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for those fun experiences. I just know that. Um, the uh, the margarita bill guys are built different than me, and I cannot hang. I, I tap out band members. <laughs> I am not going on the tour bus anymore, senor. <laughs> so that's how I got into it. Is, uh, um, I got blew off by the Akito instructor, and then a jiu-jitsu instructor introduced me to it. Imagine if you went back there, and the
1: jiu-jitsu instructors weren't there, and it was just closed down. Uh, you, you would have never... Probably experienced jujitsu and wouldn't be who you are today. Just one simple little thing. Yeah, once. You're... Yeah,
0: one uh, timing. Yeah. Yeah, timing could have changed everything right there. So, yeah, one move, uh,
1: and before you know it, yeah, there's no jujitsu. Well, they say if you like in the time travel movies, if you go back in time and you change one thing, changes everything. The huge ripple effect that it has throughout history is is uh, phenomenal. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, One more thing about your childhood. What would you say is the most important life lesson
0: that your parents taught you? Resiliency. We grew up with nothing. I mean, there was... I see all these kids now. They're ultra-privileged. You know, um, when I say privilege, they're very... Well, no, I won't even use, uh, when I use the word privilege, I'm not, I'm using it as a, a, as a form of praise, not the way that these, uh, folks are using it. Um, they're very fortunate that their parents are together. They're very fortunate that they have, uh, you know, just, um, extra money to buy things. You know, um, they're able to, Buy food whenever they want. They have access to certain foods uh, that we never had. Um, you have um, you know, basic needs met cell phones, well, laptops, cell- iPods. None of that stuff was around back then. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. And I think I'm grateful that I grew up in the era that I did because there's a. Um, there's a level of focus and there's a level of grit that my generation experienced, and that's something that these kids will never, ever get. Their parents won't allow them to experience anything remotely close because they want to shield them. So my parents never kept us in a bubble. They were always real. I've seen people get killed. I've seen people get, like, beat within an inch of their life. I've done it myself. So... um Never killed anyone, you know, but, you know, obviously just getting into countless fights, you know, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, just to survive. So you grew up hard. You really grew up hard. And so, you know, you being around like crackheads, fiends, you know, the dopeheads, you know, the drug dealers, the gang members, the prostitutes, everyone, everyone wants something from you. You know the drug dealers. You know are trying to sell you something or get get you to be a runner. You know the um, you know the drug addicts are always asking you for money, trying to con you. So you hear all the cons. That's why everybody's trying to figure out how to use you. Yeah, and get money from you or get something from you. You know, swindle something. So they need to have an exchange. Everyone's looking for some form of an exchange. So being able to. Do that, you learn the gift of gap. Sometimes you can't fight your way out of it, and when you got about six guys ready, so you know there's an incident where my uncle um, robbed or stole from like some really really bad drug dealers, and they would put a hit out on him, and I, and I think they put a hit out on our entire family because then they went looking for him. And they went to the house. I was already walking down the street, unhumble, and um, my grandmother was back home. So I got kicked out of my house when I was fourteen, and uh, I was homeless for a little bit. And then I was able to, you know, stay with some friends. And then finally, I was able—I ended up with my grandmother uh, for a while until I went to college. Uh, actually, well, that's another story. But um, so. I'm on my way with a buddy of mine, and we're going to the corner store to go buy some 40 ounces, you know, buy some 40s of St. Ide's just came out, so I was like, man, we're underage and they didn't care. as long as you had cash, you can buy anything you want." So we're on our way to the corner store, and right before we got there, maybe about 20 feet, two car full, two car loads of drug dealers got out with their guns, and they started to run up on Steve and I. And I was like... Steve, see, and so the guy goes, "Yo, you Foot's nephew," and, and I already knew what it was about. I was like, "They're gonna, this is a fucking hit. They're gonna kill us." And I'm thinking they already they came back from my uh, they came back from my house where I was living with my grandmother. I was like, "They killed my grandmother. They killed my grandmother." So the guy was just like, "Yo, you Foot's nephew." I was like, "Yeah," and I, and I immediately flipped the switch. I said, yeah. I said, have you seen them? They're like, no. And so one easy thing to do when you're bad things are about to happen. Whoever controls the conversation ultimately is going to control the outcome. So the guy was asking me questions. like, you foot's nephew? And I was just like, yeah. And then I immediately flipped it on him. I was like, yeah, have you seen him? And I said, I made up a lie. I said, hey, that motherfucker stole from me. I said, he stole from me. I said, we're out here right now looking for him. And I knew that they were out there looking. They are like, well, we're looking for him too. I said, where have you been? I said, man, we've been looking all up and down here. I said, man, where are you guys going? And I said, listen, you tell that motherfucker. I said, I want my shit back and I said he stole him and they're like okay okay so now we're all friends now now they don't want to kill me you have a common enemy yes they were going to kill us and there was absolutely and they would have done it in broad daylight and no one would have said anything just because you got all these guys with guns and all this uh, I didn't know anything and even if I did it wouldn't have mattered They they were hell bent on finding my uncle they couldn't find him so they were going to kill us i was fortunate enough to have like the quick wits to turn it around and try to get them to basically look at me like i'm one of them like we're fighting the same cause goal yeah that is what saved my life two times That was the you know that was the first time. Then a really bad incident happened, and I was able to get myself out of it. And so when you talk about like the gift my parents gave me, well, the gift of exposure, exposing me to the world's realities, like what you what you guys will never ever see. Experience. Yeah, like the the shit that we've seen, the things that we experience. Like ninety nine percent of the people here in Lake Norman would one never experience it, two be able to handle it. And so the way I've become, the way I, that I uh, come across, it was just like, I was more or less born into this, like mindset. You and David Goggins. <laughs> yeah, he's from <laughs> Buffalo. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Two peas in a pod. When we were kids, we'd chase a mosquito fog truck down the street and play in the fog of poison and and laugh and have a good time. Oh we'd drink. my God. We'd shoot bottle rockets at each other. I mean, we, we were crazy. Um, Heck you know, yeah, man. If our parents wouldn't know where we were, they'd drive around the neighborhood and look for the pile of bikes in the front yard. Yes, <laughs> there's no cell phones, no computers. The video game was Pong, where the paddle goes up and down, the ball goes. I mean, just You
0: didn't to, even play it all that
1: much either. Totally right? different world. I mean, come home from school, do your homework, get out of the house till dinner. Yes. Don't come back in here, stay outside. So you make up all these crazy games. That's right. And today's kids are like in the basement or in their room playing on, you know, seven hours of video games every afternoon. And uh, if they're going on their bike, they got to put on knee pads and helmet and, you know, elbow pads. It's just so such a different world it's such a bubble man yeah yeah Yeah, it's such a bubble man so all right So, so we covered the past um of you let's shift over to your kids um i understand you have
0: two boys could you tell us like their age their names just a little bit about them yeah as far as the uh yeah so i have a younger son uh, he's 11 years old, and I have an older son. Uh, he's uh, 12 years old. Uh, they're both. Uh, we homeschool our kids. My wife was a, a school teacher for eight years, so she's more than qualified. She has her master's. We both have our master's. Degree. Wow! So I didn't I mean, know that. That's impressive. Yeah, she has her master's in education. I have my MBA, um, and so she. Um, you know, we would just. Co parent or not co parent, but co teach uh, the kids. So she, you know, we have lesson plans, organization, basically everything that you would need. We have a dedicated room set up for that entire experience. So Uh, you
1: train them here in jujitsu and they go home and then Leanne teaches them
0: the educational stuff. Yeah. So on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Leanne is going over, you know, like schoolwork stuff. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I take the kids out for um, basically social interactions where they have to go like i'll go to a coffee shop and i want them to have a conversation with random people start up hey you see those old people go over there introduce yourself and tell me something about them that i don't know by the way i've known that guy for about three years now so, so life, did, skills. All Teaching these, life skills oh yes communication they pay for, you know get them paying for things uh on their own They have to work privileges. They don't just get a chance to just flip on a TV. Everything is basically paid for. So they have to do contributions in order for them to have access to anything, any privilege that they want. There has to be an exchange. So the boys, are uh, they help us out here at the school. In addition, they are uh, wonderful, wonderful instructors, but even better, uh, jiu-jitsu competitors. So they've been training since they were three years old. I've been playing, you know, jiu-jitsu. They've been around jiu-jitsu since they were born. And they both compete. Yes. Uh, they're multiple. I lost track of how many
1: championships they've won. (laughs) I've seen the rack of medals on the wall out there.
0: Yeah. Many of them are theirs. Yeah. So they compete in, uh, in their regular division, and then I always bump them up uh, another advanced division. So they've been winning all of those, so now we have an upcoming uh, tournament in Vegas called Jiu-Jitsu Con. And so it'll be their first IBJJF uh, competition. I feel like I'm feel i feeling really good about the experience uh, with the kids. And for them, I keep it playful. I don't let them take this too serious because I want them to be kids that they're young have fun. Try uh, uh, try different things. Uh, but I, when it comes to this, it's like I'm not pushing them hard. I'll push them, but it's not going to be a push hard. It's a push and with a recommendation. And if I don't see certain like milestones being crossed, then I stop investing in that particular thing. I said, I'm, I'm not investing. You need to gain me back as an investor. I because right now I'm out. Yeah. And then if they want it, if it's important, good. If it's not, doesn't if it doesn't matter to you, it's not gonna to matter to me. It's like you're the one who's gonna suffer, not me. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> How
1: important do you think teaching kids martial arts, whether it's jujitsu or some other form, is to them coming out better as an adult? Well, it
0: it helps them um, it helps them learn self control. Focus. You know, you have to have a commitment because you you are going to screw up. You're going to get this wrong, and the more rejection you get, rejection builds character. Rejection builds resilience because people who have had prior success in their job or maybe in academia, um, they expect the same results and the same level of uh, ease. You know, doing this and it's like no. This is doing a Rubik's Cube in a straight jacket while underwater with piranhas trying to attack you. figure Great it analogy. Out. Yeah, Very so it's like, yeah, it's like you try to figure that out. It's like, no, it's impossible to master jiu-jitsu. There's so many new innovations that are happening. And so it's an endless thing. So as far as... Uh, you know, as far as like with kids, they learn how to think, at least at this school. Like, I'm not, there's different ways that people teach. You can just teach a kid or anyone uh, a technique and just keep it all technique only. I'm, you can learn jujitsu from a monkey, learn it on YouTube, watch it with your friends, and eventually you'll get some, you'll get somewhat okay, not good. Um, I, when I teach, I want there to be life lessons. I want it to be almost like a, uh, like, hey, I'm showing you this, but here's how this is going to apply outside. This is how you use this outside. This lesson is applicable outside of Jiu Jitsu in this way right here. So when life is beating you down, just like right now you're pinned down, you're trying all these escapes, side control, you're hipping up, you're trying all these upas and creating frames and it's, they're all failing. I said, do you give up then? They're like, no. I said, so why the hell are you giving up now in your personal life? So there has to be a a connection back to uh, why we're actually doing this. And so for kids, they need to know what it's like to feel pressure. They need to know what it's like to suffer. They need to know what it's like to struggle. They need to know what it's like to want to quit. But then you all of a sudden... You find something inside you that says not today, and then you fight like hell to keep pushing through because you don't want to give in. The regret is worse than anything else. And so kids are easily conditioned to quit. They're born to quit when things are getting hard, especially if they have weak parents. And their parents look at it and they're like, oh, my God, I I can't handle that. And then so when the kid says, oh, I can't, I want to quit. The parents are too weak to say, no, you're going to stick with it. Because kids like, mommy, I want to
1: play hockey. Okay, let's go buy the six hundred dollars in hockey gear. And they're there for three weeks, like, I don't like it, mommy. Yeah. Okay. And
0: and the parents allow them yeah. to quit. And
1: it's like, no, where's the follow through, man? When your commitment minimum, you know, make them stick it out. That's that's great. And I think it also helps with um, confidence in a school setting or or a setting where there might be a bully and now they have like confidence in their ability to handle themselves and shut
0: down a bully that's coming at them or right? I think it's just yeah, okay. um so um I agree and disagree on that one. I agree that they are gonna develop confidence. Um the problem is is that kids are not taught communication skills. They're not taught to be assertive. Uh I can tell you of an incident of a very, very talented uh professional MMA fighter um and this particular fighter I won't mention any names, but this particular fighter had a run-in with a street guy. You know, like a you know, like 150 pound, like street thug with his pants down to his butt. All right, so here it is. This guy, incredibly talented, very, very versed in wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, very conditioned. A dude, an inner city cat, man, a black cat, walked up to him and then uh, started talking to him and getting into his face just because he was a white guy. Do you know that this guy, with all these skills, froze? He froze up. That's what I would bet will happen to a majority of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts and all these other fake black belts. They're going to freeze because they're not used to a raw dude getting up in their face. It's like, there's no rules. I'll smash your head with this brick. I'll have my buddy Curb stomp you. Who's going to save you now? The ref's not going to save you. You can't tap out. Yeah, there's no no tapping out. And so when you get real and you ask all these people, how many times have you been into an actual fight? Most of these instructors have never been in a fight. They've never been anything. So when we talk about like skills as a way to defend yourself, usually when someone learns a particular skill, let's say a martial arts skill or technique, They're still going to take a a small degree of beating first to provoke them, and then they go into self-defense mode, and then they'll eventually come out on top. I'm saying let's be proactive use our words to diffuse the situation or even better let's not even be in that situation let's not let's put ourselves in a different environment yeah don't go to 711 at 230 in, in the morning <laughs> yes yeah. yeah but you know even with the you know kids with school it's like man all right I know that if I uh, head over there I know I'm gonna get into some stuff just like I'm walking to the corner store I know I'm gonna get jumped so these kids need to be taught how to be assertive how to communicate and how not to have that that fear that intimidation so just because someone knows how how to fight in a controlled environment does not mean that if uh, if it's you know if a guy off the streets wants to fight them even though that guy off the street doesn't have the technical acumen to actually like beat them on paper they'll beat them with heart and rawness you know the intimidation starts to uh, kick in. All they need is one good punch. Just watch World Star Hip Hop. <laughs> <laughs> and and bullies tend to prey on the weak and yes. the timid, the introverts, yeah, the, uh, the quiet kids, right there. So the people who are non assertive, so the people who are playing all these video games, they're the targets because they're not forced to have a, a dialogue. You know, they they try to respond with no, like the head nods and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, at Gracie Lake you will speak. You are required to speak. I'm going to force you to talk because I already know that if you don't, you're the ones who's going to fall victim to peer pressure. This sounds like a slippery slope, what I'm about to say, but they're going to fall victim to peer pressure because they're not going to speak up on their own behalf. They'll get outnumbered. So one person asking them to do something, no, no, no. And then you got three, four, five. Now this person is like outnumbered. They are going to fold. They're going to do what is being told, you know, that they're being told to do. And they're not going to stop. They're not going to say anything either to anyone else. So then that's how they start suffering in silence. And then you have a school shooting. Yeah, it's eventually. Like backed into a corner and yeah. I feel like there's no way out. Yeah. Or the kid just... Uh, or mental illness or, yeah. Or they just start doing some drugs. That too. Yeah. Or kill
1: themselves. Okay. So did your childhood, we did your kids... Now we're moving on to talking about your better half, Leanne Brown. Oh yeah. Tell us a little bit. I know you guys just had a wedding anniversary. Yeah,
0: uh, twenty years. Twenty years. Twenty years. So Leanne is. Um, she is the reason why all of this exists and who I am today as a person. Ultra ultra supportive. And she's the lifeline of Gracie Lick-Norman. She's the lifeline of our family. Um, and so anything that Leanne asks or wants, I don't say no to her. I'll say that right there. I you can't not, say no. To her. I do not say no. She's incredibly uh, giving, and because of that, um, and how she is towards the boys, and just our lives. I mean, she's really the, um, the glue uh, for us, and if I if they had like expiring marriages, like I think it's a great idea to basically. Enter in on a marriage like you would on an options trade. Like, oh yeah, I want the uh, the December, you know, 2023 uh, call option. you have options. to recommit yeah. every five years. You after, have to you know, recommit after every five years. Do that your one. vows again. Yes. Honeymoon. Yep. And then only after the second, maybe after the second term, you know, that's when you have uh, access to equitable uh, share and you know the finances and all that stuff. Right. Like I have this like this whole little thing mapped out. But with Leanne, I would have married her. Um, for new terms. Oh, yeah, she's a keeper. The total package, as they say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, how about uh, Gracie Lake Norman? When
0: did you open this school? I started doing Gracie Lake Norman full time, you know, in COVID. You know, right, right. Great um, timing. Yeah, you know, right before COVID. And so, um, and it was a, uh, yeah, like you said, the timing, you know. Um, I've been, you know, practicing jiu jitsu since 2001. As far as like, you know, uh, you know, from 2012 to 2019, I was in banking. So I was a, a director in, um, you know, banking. There's a tidbit nobody knew. Yeah, <laughs> surprise, fool. <laughs> Banker. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, so I, I was in that world for a very long time, and one day I just got really fed up. I just didn't like looking at people anymore. I was just like, I don't like looking at you guys, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. And it's like, well, everyone was like, hey, where are you getting recruited to? And I had like plenty of like blank check offers, legitimately blank check offers. Um, And I was being groomed to, uh, you know, go the executive route and C level route. And I was just like, no, I don't want it because I already see how those people are, I already see their relationships. Cubicles and neon lights or fluorescent lights and yeah. triple air-conditioned filtered air and just... Ugh. Yeah, it's a terrible life, so I just walked away from it and then I just said, all I know is that I like jujitsu and I like drinking coffee. I'm going to start there. I'm going to combine the two and open a jiu-jitsu coffee shop. Yeah, we we're going to move Amo Cafe here. <laughs> that front space was actually going to be a coffee shop. So, it could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I, I don't know. I think I asked you this before when I first found the place. I was like, This is like off the beaten path, it's on Lugnut Lane, uh, off of Stutz, kind of tucked away with some other pretty cool businesses around here. But not nobody drives by here by accident unless you're just coming to a different store or shop that's over here. So, is there a reason they say in business location, location, location? Is there a reason that you selected this location?
0: Um, first, a little background information. <laughs> so, my jiu jitsu instructor was Hoyce Gracie from 2001 until uh, 2000, well, I may as well just say the end of 2014. You know, right at the beginning of 2014, he was my instructor from white belt all the way up to third degree brown belt. And I left Hoyce back in. Uh, like I said 2014, mid 2014. Was that in Raleigh? No, here. He had a school in Toronto? Sure. No, it was yeah me. You here. were the school. Yeah, it was the okay. school. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, long story short, the um, gosh, I got I got sidetracked on the uh, the question. What was your question again? About why you picked this? Oh yeah, why, yeah. Okay, so so training with uh, training with Hoyes. And uh, his cousin Hadrigo. Hadrigo was staying at my house um, for a seminar, uh, that seminar right there, like turn around. See that? That's right there. So that's when he was... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the guy right there, Hadrigo. So, what's up, Hadrigo? <laughs> so, Hadrigo, so we somehow got into the topic, and uh, he was just like, man, you ought to open up a school. And I was like, no, dude, I'm not interested in it, because I was actively competing, and we had a lot of guys uh, doing uh, MMA fights, so all we did was just compete and fight. That was it. We trained six days a week, six hours a day, yeah and we were going at it hard we, you know everyone anyone who knows uh, snake it was me snake slim Mike uh you know Mike, uh, you know, so the four of us, a guy named Aki, and we ran the like I'll easy, easily say this. and anyone who wants to debate me, let's do it. Uh, I can easily confidently say that uh, the Charlotte Jiu Jitsu scene started with uh, the team Rock guys uh, that we started the Hoist Gracie School. And so now Charlotte is a big you know, hub, but before all these cats came here, it was us we were the ones so there was like two you know there was a guy named Joe Hurst and then there was us Joe really wasn't part of the competition scene you know he taught you know law enforcement where we were just cranking out like really, really good MMA fighters, great jiu-jitsu guys. We were all competing. I'd compete like twice a week, man. I mean, we were getting at it. We were traveling, competing, fighting. That's all we did. So, you know, for us, you know, that was our lifestyle. That's, uh, you know, that's that was our way of doing things. Uh, in hindsight, you know, I would change things. You know, so as far as this location, is concerned. I was kind of—I don't want to say pushed. I was highly, highly encouraged by Hoist as well as Rodrigo to open up the school, but I didn't want to because we had so we had such a great thing going at that school right there. And I'm like, why am I going to leave? You know, we're just everything is really, really tight. So Hadriko called me a selfish motherfucker. Yeah, hey, I never forget that. <laughs> he just like you selfish motherfucker. I was like, what, man? I said, look, let me just want like, to compete. You just like give back. Yes. And so Hoist was uh, putting it in my head. He was like, you'll get so much better as a jujitsu guy if you teach. I was like, bullshit. And sure enough, he you was won't right. Get my knowledge for nothing. Yeah. So that's how. So I told my old business partner Mike Bertram. I said, listen, Mike, I'm catching heat from Hadrigo and Hoyes for me to open up a school. He's like, I think it's a great idea because he's the one who breached it with me as well. And he's like, man, we ought to open up a school. And so I was like, look, if you can find a place that has an open floor, an open floor plan, and it's bathrooms, and the rent is like 250 bucks a month, I'll do it. There's no way in the world he was ever gonna find this place. Not for no. Son of a gun Mike goes, hey Renard, I found a place. And I go, shit. As soon as he <laughs> called me up. <laughs> you gave him the I impossible go, shit. test. Shit he did it. I said, shit. And then I was like, where is it? He's like, it's on stuts. And so I went all the way down to the marina. And I was like, this place sucks. I said, man, no one's going to find this place. That's what I said. I said, no one's going to find this place. How the hell is anyone going to find us, man? This is the worst location ever. But when COVID hit... It was the best location because this is outside of the town. So this is the county. The Mooresville police couldn't come in here and close us down like they did all those oh, other yeah. businesses. Mandates don't apply here. Yeah. So the mandates never applied anyway. You know, there are mandates, suggestion, recommendation, yes. you know, so not legislation. Yes, exactly. So anyway, that's your long five minute. Explanation. I think it's great
1: because you have to really want to, to come here to find it. It's not like you're just going down to the 7-Eleven and and you look over on the street you're driving down. Oh, hey, I'll go check that place out. You know, you have to, like, seek it out. So it's like a higher purpose. The person's really looking for this and they have to kind of seek. They can't just trip on it by accident. So I think that's That's more dedicated people, more committed. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We've done your past. We've done your present. Let's look into the future here. I know you're a man of planning and goals. And um, what, do you, what are some of your goals for like 5, 10, 20 years down the road um, that you and Leanne have for yourselves in the school? The um, first
0: and foremost is uh, health. Um, before anything else, I need to make sure that our health is paramount. I can care less about the future, I care about what's happening right now with my body from a physical state, from an emotional and a mental uh, perspective. So uh, my concentration is improving the quality of my health. I want to be able to improve mobility. I want to inspire my kids to learn the lessons that I have learned. So I need to make more investments into them so they can actually take on better and bigger leadership roles so they can start to inspire others. But they first need to inspire themselves to do the things that they want to do. So there's an investment into our health. That's first and foremost. After our health, then there's gonna be an investment into each other, our relationships. We need to get tighter. Things are good, we can get tighter, we can get better. After we do that, then we can start making an investment into others outside of our immediate, like, you know, family. So we you know, we're going to be focused on you know building up our friends. And then outside of our friends, then we have our community. So this is where Gracie Lake Norman comes into play. I need to make this place a mecca for transformation. I don't care what's going on in someone's life. You're gonna come here and you're gonna get transformed. It's not just jujitsu. You can learn jujitsu anywhere. Go to the cheapest place. It's gonna be shit jujitsu. Fine. Um, just because there's a focus on the the focus and premium is on money. We're not doing this for money. If I wanted money, I'd go back into banking. You know. But this place has a purpose, and that means that I have to. Inspire other people to be the best versions of themselves. So I'm not that guy that just talks about it and uses cliche, nice, cute words. The way I am now is the way I've been for 20 plus years. You're not going to see a deviation from me. I'm always going to be talking the same shit. Period. And if people don't like it, I'm like, fine, bro. I don't care. You're not going to impact people in the world. Go find somebody else. Yeah. And so as far as the future, man, it's for me. It's about Upgrading myself, my family, so they can actually, you know, take the you know take the reins on that to do it themselves. Uh, as far as the school, I want it to ultimately be where everyone has the ability to make contributions and teach, you know, teach what they know. Because no one, as you know, my uh, professor says, uh, Louise. He goes, no one owns jujitsu. So everyone has the ability to contribute. And I just want to inspire people to give back. Help someone else. Don't just show them a technique. Talk to them about their lives. See if you can add value there. So creating a community where everyone is so intertwined, where they're, uh, they're able to help each other out. That's my vision for this place where no one knows mental illness, no one knows anxiety or stress, no one knows physical pain, emotional pain. We're gonna get rid of that crap, and we have like the different modalities, the support system, the resources uh, to actually make it happen. And we've been doing it too. I think that's the reason why uh, you know these magazines are you know reaching out to us and talking. And we don't pay for that stuff, and we're very grateful for Lake Norman Currents for believing in us and uh, spending as much time as they have. uh, Because you have something special here. Yeah. And it's leading by example. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. It's a great observation. So anyway, that's where we are right there. Very cool. Um, Do
1: you hope one day that your boys will take over Gracie Lake Norman
0: Um, or open their own school somewhere? Our kids have been groomed to teach and lead and lead by example, compete and everything else. So if this particular business supports what they want to do for the future, I'm all in on it. If they want to, um, you know, do something else, you know, as long as they start their own business, I don't care. Like they say
1: that. Every parent wants their kids to do better than they did to have more than they had. And with you starting, you know, midlife in jujitsu and having had a very rough childhood and look where you've come so far. Right. And then your boys are starting at three years old and have like all the nutritional information, all the, the ways to be a person, the best person, the best jujitsu fighter, and they've got everything, like yeah. in their world, that they need to go so much further than you. You know, it's almost like you jump in in the air backwards into the water, and as you're starting to hit the water, you throw your son further, and it's like you know that you went this far, your son went that far, his son went, and so if you keep that up, um, you know, there's no telling how far
0: um, you know your offspring can go cool yeah um, so they lead you know they're living the life right now I'm going to start I'm going to help them start a photography and web design business so they can learn to be self-sufficient multifaceted yes not one dimensional right yeah so very smart yeah so i've always enjoyed doing photography and building out websites Uh, and i did that for a long time and it's been a fun thing so if i can inspire my kids to do you know like more entrepreneurial things uh versus you know just going to work for someone um that'll be ideal because they're i know how they are They're free-spirited people, and they don't need to be chained to a desk. Under somebody's thumb. Yeah. Can I use the bathroom? No. Yeah. Dude, you're your own man.
1: And they, talking again about the advantages, when we were kids, there were no computers. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. Right. These kids at three years old have cell phones in their hands using computers at four or five years old. I mean, they can fix televisions, they can reprogram. I mean, it's amazing what a 10-year-old can do in the world of of electronics, computers, technology that we didn't even know that didn't exist when we were their age. So they have such a huge head start. I mean, the first time I used a computer, I was in the military and I'm wow. and, in mean, 20 21 years old and these people are doing it at the kids are doing it at three four five years old so that's amazing they've, they've got they've got a big advantage all right who let's change gears a little bit here um, who
0: would you say is like a great mentor to you in your life that great. you look up to there was a guy named dr Israel Bowles. Dr. Israel Bowles, he was my psychology professor when I was, in, uh, I was a sophomore. So actually, I went to i uh, I'm a high school dropout. So my last test that I took was in sixth grade, in Dr. Carter's room, social studies. And then I got into a fist fight and I got kicked out. And at that point, um, they just kept pushing me through the grades. You know, trying had a great to get to, you out. Yeah, just trying to get me out because I, I was nice and friendly to everyone. Everyone liked me, and they were just like, "All right, well, nice guy, you know." But we got to get him out. So heal somebody. <laughs> so I kept getting pushed. Uh, you know, kept getting pushed. And so, with gosh, where where the hell was I going with this? Uh, oh, the role model. So, um, fast forward. I ended up at a community college, and that was the best time of my life. Was when I was at that two year school. I learned more in that two year school than I ever did at my uh, undergrad, grad, Villanova, all that stuff. Nothing compared. You went to Villanova? Yeah, for uh, just post grad stuff. So that, uh, in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Uh, no, um, this was I did an online. It was online. Okay. Yeah, I did an online thing. So. Dr. Israel Bowles, I remember I wanted, I failed statistics two times. Third time, I'm like, man, I can't fail this again. Each one of those courses were $2,356. I'll never forget Jeez. that because I had to pay it and it kept going up. And I was like, shit. No student aid here. <laughs> yeah, TAP and Pell was all gone. So I, uh, so I went to Dr. Bowles and I needed a college professor signature to withdraw from the class. So I walk up to him. I say, "Hey, Dr. Bowles, I need to I need your signature to drop out of this class." He goes, "Like what class?" I said, "Stats." I said, "I failed it." Uh, I said, "I failed it two times before," and I said, "I'm failing it now, and i going to kill my GPA." And I was on the uh, the honors dean's list, and so I said, "All right." He goes, "I'm not going to sign it until you." Uh, use all your resources i said well what the hell does that mean he goes renard if there's a will there's a way but if there's a way you better show that damn will and i was like that's deep yeah and i said okay he goes what have you done i said i've been studying have you tried a new book no have you uh, gotten a tutor? No. Have you talked to the college professor about office hours? No. He goes, do all of that, and then I'll, and if you try it and then you still can't do it, then I'll sign it. I end up getting a B. And um, so, Doctor Israel Bowles was one who was a huge influence on me. Uh, Doctor Craig, he was a guidance counselor when I was in high school. He was the only one that believed in me uh, during that time, even though I was a big fuck up. Um, you and David Goggins have a
1: lot. <laughs> it's like every time I hear you say something, I'm like, that's like David Goggins. Yeah. Same thing. You guys had a very parallel uh, upbringing. And yeah, so it was... Uh, of course, his, his failures and stuff were mostly in the high school and then in Special Forces,
0: the SEALs and stuff. Yeah, mine were young childhood age all the way up until uh you know after co- you know after high school college stuff right there so they say you, you never fail unless you quit that's right because i can just keep trying yeah yeah so I mean, i'd say that uh dr bowles dr uh dr craig uh when i got to college um dr judith larkin dr judith larkin she was huge she the was name huge. yeah she's a wonderful industrial organizational uh, psychologist um, located she was a professor at Kinesius at, uh, College that lady is amazing I love the way that she thinks and she's super inspiring uh, so I learned a lot when I was with uh, doctor so two-year college dr. Israel Bowles or let me go back high school. It was Dr. Craig. Uh, College, Dr. Israel Bowles for uh, two year school. And then four year school, you know, undergrad, Dr. Judith Larkin. Grad school, now it's no longer uh, college professors at that point. It was more like um, people that I know. Uh, And so, you know, I never really had anyone. So if I had to say someone, it would be the CEO of, uh, the former CEO of Exxon Mobil. He was a, uh, Dr. Bart Delito. So he started a company, a stock analysis and portfolio management company. And he taught me about business and he taught me about the stock market, not textbook, but real world. Yeah. Business. Real, yeah I became a, uh, um, a stock analysis and portfolio uh, management. Public speaker, uh, doing talks on technical analysis and option strategies, and technical trading. Portfolio uh, management, asset allocation. You know, just talks, videos, DVDs, newsletters, all that stuff. So, he, Bart Delito was huge. Um, Another guy that had a huge influence on me was Milton Goggins. Milton Goggins. Goggins. Yes. Uh, he was the president of Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, when I was in undergrad at Keneshas, I was able to get a 10-minute uh, a meeting with him and I said, listen, I'm not going to take up all 10 minutes. I said, I just need to ask you some questions to get into your head. Anyway, that 10-minute conversation turned into like an hour and a half conversation. And then uh, it was just some really insightful things. So those were the, uh, the influencers uh, back then. And now, just in my later years, uh, I've always been surrounded by uh, martial arts legends. So, you know, first and foremost, uh, coming up directly under Hoist Gracie, that's different most people would never like the who's who today they idolize like oh my god hoist gracie i was like oh yeah hoist yeah and it's just Godfathers like fathers of jiu-jitsu yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you, so know, you got your educational mentors and then you have jujitsu
0: mentors yeah uh that would be hoist uh hoist hadrigo um Hoyce and hadrigo and then you know just in modern times um I really uh, have come to really like and appreciate Wagner Uh I think uh, him and Fafa are wonderful people. We, you know, when they're here, they, you know, they come here. Um, we always try to get them coming here at least, uh, you know, two times a year. So it's wonderful spending time with her. Uh, Achilles is crazy, <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it's nice uh, to hang out uh, with them. We go out to dinner, have a good time. Wagner and I are rolling um so to see him at 42 years old still going after getting it and i was just like hell yeah Uh, another guy that is really cool is a guy named chad fields uh the kodiak so uh chad is an interesting bird too because i love the way he thinks i you know when i was in miami training down at fight sports uh we're doing the. Uh, Chad had his back jacked up, so he wasn't able to train. But uh, I would always, you know, go after, after training. I'd go hang out with Chad at his at his place, and it was just nice because the way high level guys think, it's very inspiring. They're not like other people. These people are like Wagner, Cyborg, Chad Fields, Hoist Gracie, you know, um, you know, Tynan Dolpra, Cade Ritolo. Nicholas Marigali, you know, just having conversations with all those dudes, and they don't think like everyone else. And so it's like, look, if I like the things that these dudes are doing, I'm going to copy it. If they're getting up at five o'clock in the morning, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning. Or if they three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, whatever yeah. they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And so Emulate the successful. Yeah. And David Goggins is another inspiration. That's why I, I, uh, I do hard things. Uh, and I was inspired by Goggins, and so I have this funny little thing that I'd like to do is uh, not to pick at him, but to basically offer a fun little challenge that I will not accept. I'm going to start the crap and then I'm going to back out really quick because I know that that guy is going <laughs> to... He will eat you and cheat Yeah, so I would uh, have a bunch of guys all doing the cold plunge, doing the exercises in the back, going in and out and in and out. And I'll say something like, yo, Goggins, see why are you over there doing those little runs like it's nothing in heat. 224 said, miles in Florida. Like I said, I'm over here doing uh, cold plunges, man. in <laughs> <laughs> 32 degree water, 28 degree water. What are you doing? He'll say, all right, I'm coming out there. And we're going to stay in the cold for 24 hours or something like that. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want that. will do hundred miles in 32 degree weather. So anyway, hopefully that answered your question about it the, uh, you know, the mentor
1: stuff, man. All right. But, kind of on the similar line as the mentors. Uh, I like this question. If you could sit down and eat dinner with anybody in the world history, alive or dead, who would it be? And why?
0: Interesting. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, yeah, Stoicism. Is that the, from the 300? Uh, Not from the movie 300, but, but yeah, from history. Yeah, 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 the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, uh, he was an emperor. Yeah, man, I would uh, totally get him. Everything about Stoicism really resonates very well, and we. Teach- he the, is he the the guy that starred in the no, 300 well, movie? No, this is Sparta. <laughs> no, no, but if you look at that, like that mindset of like that warrior gladiator kind of mindset, it's like, look, man, I'm not impacted by events. You know, it's like, it's not what happens, but it's how you deal with it. And it's hard to actually put that stuff into practice, but I do like it as a philosophy. So to be able to sit down with someone like him, um, and understand how to really control and have emotional control, mental control over yourself is huge. And so he has a book called Meditations. And um, I think it should be a required reading for all male figures. All males. What's the the name of it? Meditations. Meditations. Yeah, by Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, and so it's just... You know how to basically. You know, you know, you're you're looking at being resilient. You know, um, looking at things more objectively. There's a logic component to it, and people have thrown out logic, and they you know care about their feelings and emotions. I'm not discounting emotional intelligence. I think it's incredibly important. I'm just not going to allow my emotions to guide decisions or my behaviors, just because I, th- I find it reckless. Uh, and very irresponsible uh, when I'm when I'm like that. So I need to look at things objectively as much as I can. But at the same time, I do acknowledge that there is this gut feeling. Just because I hear that there's more nerve endings in your gut than there are in your brain. So your gut knows things that your brain doesn't. So I just need to be able to process it really quick and be able to say, okay, yeah, this is good. This is bad. Okay, dude, you're overreacting to this. So I have a simple process for determining, you know, when stuff goes wrong, which is going to happen, I'm thinking, all right, what are the top three things that I need to do in order to make this problem go away? I don't care about. Whining, crying, bitching, moaning, complaining. I don't need to see a psychologist talk about my feelings, rehash the past. No. What do I need to do right now to make this situation better? So if you embrace a stoic mindset, you'll be coming, you'll be more solution based versus a reaction. Um, Panicking. Pretty, yeah. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Well, how do I feel? Oh, oh, oh. So anyway, that's my answer right there. Very cool.
1: It's like he said in the movie, the king that was challenging him said, You are but 300 men and we are 20,000 strong. And he said, I have 300 warriors. He says, Your men fight for you, but they, their heart is not with you, or something like that. And he was like, These guys are warriors that live and breathe and die for their clan, and these guys are just there for the paycheck. And it was so true, and they ended up slaughtering them. A bunch of them ran away. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, that's what you're, awesome. What you're talking about. Um, you told me a couple of weeks ago that you kind of wished that me being a white belt, that you wished you were kind of restarting your journey and were a white belt again. Oh, yeah. And that you knew from your experience, how you would handle things or approach, you know, your training through all the belts um, differently. Yes. And just in a kind of a nutshell, what would you do differently
0: I would put a huge huge premium on situational drilling situational rolling the way jujitsu is taught even today it's taught and it's like a piecemeal step you know you do here's a uh, here's an arm bar let's rep on an arm bar 20,000 times and I'm like Ugh no and that's how people are like you know they go into it and they're all right guys let's just roll you know so you learn an arm bar and roll. roll learn. my approach is different i want to do the whole sequence you know i want to i'm acting like i'm a performer think about when um someone is about to perform uh on stage they'll do the entire act so if I'm about to compete, I want to do the entire act. So we're going to start standing, and then you know there's a whole process to uh, you know stand up fighting. I don't pull guard, I don't uh, you know jump guard or anything like that. No one's allowed to do that here at this school you start standing. So you're gonna utilize either wrestling or jiu-jitsu. So from there, you get your partner down, then there's a guard pass, and then once you pass, you get a positional control. And from the positional control, whether that's a, a side control, mountain, on belly, north, south, whatever it is, case, uh, uh, now you start isolating body parts. And then after the isolation process, then you go into attack. So I've created a model called CIA, Control, Isolate, and Attack. And so I would implement more models into uh, the teaching. So it's easier, you know, models and different concepts, systems. So I have this entirely elaborate system, you know, based off of the CIA control, isolate, and attack. So I would teach the control, isolate, attack along with like multiple sequences. So we start standing. And we go from the standing perspective all the way down to the ground, and you have different variations. So, there's so many different permutations that we have, you know, from this one experience. And I can take it out, you know, 10, 20, 30 steps. So, but it has to be simplified. So, anyone, you know, a drunk guy should be able to do it, put it that way. So, the moves should be so broken down and so simplistic. You know, but don't disguise. Don't let. Don't, you shouldn't be. Dis, uh, um, you know, fooled by the simplicity of it. I think there is beauty and complexity and simplicity. You know, it takes a long time to make something look easy, but you know that it's hard. When you look at someone flying. When you look at someone flying a car, or flying flying a car. They have them um, now. <laughs> when you look at someone flying or doing acrobats or backflips, and they are like, man, it's so easy, I can do that. Or you watch MMA fights, they're like, man, I can kick somebody's butt. Until you actually get there and you realize, holy crap, I can't
1: do this. Yeah, my uh, perspective is you come to class for an hour, two hours, and you learn, like you said, you break down the components of, say you're a butterfly guard and what you can do you can sweep or you can you know trap a foot and bring, and bring them down or a number of things but when you're actually rolling with someone even at 30 or 40 percent right sometimes it's hard like like when you're in butter butterfly or spider guard you're gonna like grab their sleeves with your both hands one hand on each sleeve and just getting that is tough especially with the higher belt <laughs> so you're just like I know I learned all these things but I can't get any of them to work right now because we weren't doing it live action it was just kind of like step by step by step repeat slowly repeat slowly and that's, so that that's what kind of so far I've found it's Hard. Like, I couldn't get past Ryan's guard this morning, no matter what I did. No,
0: yeah, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. He's a brown belt. Yeah, Ryan's guard is sick. Yeah. Uh, he has one of the best guards that I've ever uh, tried to smash. Uh, but I'm sure my buddy Kodiak, uh, Kodiak and Pedro, uh, can uh, uh, infiltrate it. And I, you know, Ryan and I have wonderful roles. But I would say, just to kind of summarize it, I think uh, it's incredibly important for all of our students to continue on the path of doing rolls at 30% versus 100% balls out. Uh, at 30%, you can be more cerebral. You can uh, focus on the technique. You're not concerned about... You know, using strength and power and athleticism, attributes that are going to dissipate as time goes on, things that you can't teach athleticism. You can't teach people strength. You know, These are things that people have and they're going to use them in lieu of uh, technique. So I'd rather have someone with a very, very high technical acumen than a physical specimen who's able to throw people around. There's no technique in that. Yeah, of course you're going to throw me to the ground you're like massive you don't need to uh, do a whole lot not to say that a smaller person can't defend themselves but I'm just saying that if we're going you know technique for technique that's where it's really really cool so I would put a huge emphasis number one on using systems Uh, I like uh, different models uh, you know you know just teach things in sequences. You know, step you know, you got uh part one, part two, part three. You know, so I always know where I'm at
1: regardless now, so of what's like happening. When you do that, and then say you're um you have somebody in Spider Guard and so you lay out like here's plan A, if you can get this ankle or grab their foot, then take this hand and p- sweep them right. or if you, you know, you get like A, B, and C, because like I said before You try something. A lot of times, you can't do it. You can't. You can't get their their sleeves. That's right. Or you can't pass their legs. So by giving you multiple things in any situation, you get you have more possibility of success because you have A, B, C. You don't just have A. I can't get A. I can't get A. I'm trying to get A. I can't get. You have you have different avenues that you can take. Where this isn't working, well, let me try to get the foot. No, this isn't working, well, let me try to grab his collar and pull him down. And, you know, um, so I think that that's really cool that you expound upon one position and a multitude
0: of things that you can do from there. Yeah. It really helps. Yeah. So I I call that workspace management where, if I'm in side control on someone, I'm not leaving side control until I exploit every possible avenue. You know, I want to. You know, I'm in side control. When I want to attack his left arm, or you know, I attack the far arm, attack his neck, attack the near arm. Then I switch to Kesa. It gives me a whole new look. Of uh, different attacks and things that I can make, and then maybe I go to North South. There's a whole bunch of things that I can do there, but then I'm going to head back to K- you know side control or casa. So don't leave the area until you've turned all the stones. Um, And then if something goes wrong, because there's systems in place, if something goes wrong, you know exactly where it went wrong. Is it step one, step two, or step three? So I don't teach moves beyond three steps because the reality is you're never going to get it on anyone good anyway. It'll work on some crappy white belt or blue belt, purple belt, and there's a lot of crappy brown belts and black belts out there as well. Uh, And they don't understand the, uh, the fundamentals or at least how to you know, put everything together. Some people can speak broken Spanish. Okay. And it's just like, "Hola," okay, yeah, great. But are you fluent in it? You know, and how do you get fluent? You know, I'd rather learn Spanish, you know, uh, speaking in paragraphs versus speaking one word and learning one word at a time and then trying to stitch it together, you know, uh, to have it make sense. But at the end, it's not going to. So being able to have packages like all i'm doing is i'm packaging up a technique like here's package a so maybe so right. at the grocery
1: store at the deli counter you can get this pre-packaged ham you can get fresh sliced boar's head ham right like that. you got it man right cool um we're getting close to the end of my questions here but i have a few more who would you say is the most difficult person that you fought or
0: rolled with <laughs> Jeez man, Almighty. Oh, that's a tough one. All right, I'll tell you this. Number one, uh, I'm listening to cyborg on this one. Cyborg said Bernard, you don't want Wagner on your back. He's vicious. so I never ever want cyborg on my on my back or I'm sorry, I don't want Wagner Rocha on my back. Alright, so I'm gonna go by positions right here. Right? <laughs> All right. Alright. So I don't want I don't want him on my back. Uh I'm not a fan of tra- uh Chad Fields being on top of me. I would not want Chad on top of me, so I have to have like an insane, crazy open guard. Um the people that I've rolled with, uh let's see here. I'm rolling with Tynan Dopra. I wish I could give you a better Story on like, hey, I, I fought a good fight. It wasn't even remote. Like, this is not. We're only talking like a year ago. All right, so we're in 2023, and we're talking maybe like 2022. Him and I are rolling at a summit, and uh, so we slap hands, fist bump, and within 15 seconds or so, he arm bars me, and I'm like, "What the hell? I have not been arm barred." It's kind of you know, like black belt. Yeah, yeah kind like of first degree black no, no man no it's just like that dude armbarred me and I can't recall the last time I le- was legitimately armbarred and I was like holy crap and so I was like okay it's on so now we're uh we slap hands and now I'm uh playing I'm playing guard on Tainan and so I have this thing called the corona choke Right, and I was like, "Oh hell yeah!" I'm starting to. I grabbed the bottom left corner of his lapel. That was it. That was all I was able to do, and it was just for a split second. Like I grabbed just the tip. That was it, and then somehow I ended up tr- being triangle. I can, when I say somehow, I cannot reconstruct, and this is what it's this is. so fast. It wasn't even fast. It was like I was in a dream, going against that guy and he triangle choked me and when he got me in the triangle I was like oh hell yeah I can get out of this cuz I have like oh, I have like easily nine different triangle escapes and I'm feeling like nine. I thought when when he got the triangle on me I was probably 90 plus percent confident that I was going to get out he had it on for less than a second and I was like bongo drum banging on his leg it was an ass whooping from... The artery, uh, his his, uh, tendon squeezing on your carotid. It was no way in the world I was going to get out. So that guy is honestly five lifetimes ahead of people. People have no clue how good that guy is. So there's Tynan. Gregor Gracie, Gregor Gracie and I are rolling in Miami. That was a butt whipping I was on point too that whole day. You know, so I rolled with uh, I had some roles with Hodra Gracie, Hollis Gracie, and then Gregor. Gregor, I didn't know what he was doing to me. And the Gracies
1: and these guys, they're like born on a jiu-jitsu mat. Yeah, I think they gave birth on a jiu-jitsu mat. <laughs> they did. They hit the mat, they slap a instead of a towel, they put a gi on them. Oh yeah, and
0: gi. They, they yeah, start rolling from day one, minute yeah, one. Pacifiers are basically a mouthpiece. Yes. <laughs> so um so Gregor schooled the daylights out of me. Now, Gregor Gracie, I didn't even I couldn't even he was talking to me as he was just transitioning and I go, Gregor, shut up, man. I said, I haven't, I, I, this is just terrible. So the last but not least, uh, Pedro Pajares, uh, Louise's son Before Pedro and I we would roll. And I was like, that's the Pedro that came here. Oh yeah. yeah. Pedro is on a different level. We rolled, and this is like a month or so ago. All right. So I'm feeling great. We're doing no gi, which that's what I like. Man, Pedro tapped me five times in under five minutes. Oh my god! So if anyone, no, any, yeah, if anyone has ever rolled with me, um, just imagine me—that's a feat. Yeah, getting tapped. Now, I'm not, you know, a God's gifted jiu-jitsu or anything like that. Uh, I'm just saying that when I rolled with Pedro, there was, not, was nothing—even remotely competitive about it. There was nothing remotely competitive about it. And so,
1: um, yeah, that's how are, you get better. Yeah, you think you're good. You, maybe your ego gets a little bit up there, and because you get this, you know, black belt, third degree, or whatever, and then somebody comes to town and whack, 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 whack chops you down. You're like, okay, I'm just a humble. You know, black oh, yeah. belt. You know, third degree. I'm just humble. Black belt. I have so far to go. And then so you start you start from the beginning and continue to improve. And then you know, you're tested again.
0: Yeah, people don't get it. So I try to tell people, I'm like, man, I roll with these guys and I'm telling you those moves that you're teaching and doing. It's garbage. It's never, ever going to work. So whenever I train, whenever I train, I trained for like the one in 5% of guys. I don't care about the 99%. I can care less. I'm not trying to tap average people. The I'm, unusual among unusual, as yeah. David Coggins would say. Yeah, I wanna I wanna tap like you know, the guy I wanna tap that guy who was just on, you know, who's number one. You know, so I'm forty seven years old, so for me, you know, my jiu jitsu career it's non existent because you know, I'm forty seven years old and so I still like to compete. In the IBJJF, uh, you know, I do the Masters, and we have fun, man. So it's like, look, I'm not getting any sponsorships, man. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm having a good time, and I just want to be an inspiration uh, for uh, for my sons and for anyone else who wants to do it. And so we just continue to train uh, and keep it playful and, uh, you know, keep banging, man. Are there any 60-year-olds out there competing? Oh, dude! There's seventy-year-olds. There's coral belts, man. There's everyone. Uh, You know, I think the limitation is truly in with the individual. Like, if you are around weak, sheepish, sheep-type people, then you're going to end up like it. And so, if they have a fear or phobia uh, of competing, then you're going—they're going to pass it on to you. One of the—I got to tell you, man. The dudes down at uh, Fight Sports, it was really inspiring. So I'm in their pro training uh, class, and they're getting ready for, I think they're, they're doing 80, you know, we're doing 80 CC rounds, so six rounds. But uh, Cyborg is a very, very uh, interesting bird, man. And, you know, he leads by example, straight up, man. That dude is just He's all He's the guy it. you don't want on your back. No, that's Wagner. Oh. Yeah, Wagner is the guy you don't want on your back. Cyborg was telling me uh, when he rolls with Wagner, he's like, bro, you don't want him on your back. And I was like, heck yeah. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. So You don't want anybody (laughs) on your back. No, I really (laughs) don't want anyone on my back. But I'd say that uh, Cyborg's leadership has always been very inspiring to me. Uh, Just watching him uh, inspire a whole you know, multiple generations of people. Uh, I found that to be really uh, commendable and respectable man. And so, when you hang out with Cyborg, you know, like I said, it's uh, I don't, I'm not like best friends with him in any way, shape, or form. I was just really happy, uh, you know, to be able to uh, you know get the invite to be able to you know just go over there and train uh, with those dudes. And he will he will make you believe that you can do anything and so if you look at the success that the fight sport guys have had now this is no disrespect to any other organization as far as like you know other you know teams i'm just giving you like a a personal experience if you train there for a year let's say two years and you don't win a championship something's wrong they're way too driven. They're way too, like, inspiring for you to be mediocre. And I know that. And I, I look at all the guys that made ADCC who won trials in ADCC. They came out of Fight Sports, man. So those dudes are not messing around. They got their stuff together, Jack. And so it's an it's an inspiration. Uh, I think uh, you can learn a lot from, uh, you know, from the work ethic itself, I look at the three people that I see that's inspiring Uh, actually there's four Wagner, watching Wagner go uh, watching those dudes train and then just talking with Wagner and hanging out with him, watching uh, Chad Fields, and then of course uh, just seeing uh, Cyborg train. And Cyborg and I uh, had a fun little uh, exhibition uh, <laughs> match that was funny as well. Uh, you know, it was good. That was, that was a good that was a good time. But just seeing you know, but then there's Ben Funkle. Ben um, was paralyzed during a training accident and he is such an inspiration that kid has like this permanent smile on his face and so when you see people beyond their prime uh, injured and they're still getting at it still fighting how in the hell can you be lazy how in the hell can you not find inspiration in that something's wrong so, the famous line that I heard Cyborg say is like, Man, the championship is uh, there. It's yours. You just have to take it. And I say that to the kids now. It's like, The championship is yours. You just have to take it. It's there. Just go get it. It's, it's there for it. the taking. Yeah, it's yours. Go, that's yours. That belongs to you. So,
1: so funny how your mindset changes when I was in the hospital for four and a half months after my crane accident in 2006. That's in right. ICU and trauma. And I couldn't, I was in a bed for four and a half months. I couldn't get up because my pelvis was shattered. And so I had screws and bolts and pins. And And all I wanted more than anything was to be able to sit up, stand up. But most I could do was like maybe 30 degree, you know, angle of the back of the bed. And I just wanted to walk. I just wanted to be upright and moving. And I couldn't, I was in a water bed, like a medical water bed. And when they first came to, physical therapy to help me stand after like four months. Um, CMC Maine has like floor to ceiling windows on the 11th floor. And I'd been laying down for like four months in a bed. And so she had a a big girl. She put, they put like a kind of a a martial arts belt around you to help lift. And she helped lift me out of the bed. And I was really wobbly because your legs just, you know, your muscles just atrophy. And, um, I looked like down the window to the ground and I got like, um, vertigo real bad and like fell backwards into the bed. And, uh, so now that I can walk and that I work and, and, you know, pretty good shape as far as being able to move around, get up off the couch, you know, you go home and flop on the couch, turn on the TV when all you wanted back then was to be able to walk, to get up and walk. And now that you can walk, you go flop on a couch and watch TV or sleep for three or four hours. Right. And so it's it's all about your your motivation and your drive to to use what you have. But now that you have it, it's like the you know it's like oh I don't want it. I have it now, but I don't want to use it. But back then it was like all I wanted my whole my whole existence was to walk. I just need to walk. I just got to get out of this bed. And now that I can walk wherever I want. Like, oh, I think I'll just sit on the couch after work. I work ten hours a day. I'm tired, so that's that's going to change.
0: Well, it's gratitude, man, and being um, you know just grateful for all of the the little gifts that were are given on a day to day basis, and just you know taking time to acknowledge and just man, I'm really grateful for. The opportunity to do these things, you know, to be able to train with these people, you know, to be able to walk, to be able to get up, to even be able to have this conversation right now that we're having. You know, these are all nice gifts because we're here in the present. And it's easy to take them for granted. Yes. You see people that don't have arms
1: or feet or legs and they're like cooking for their family. They're like painting like beautiful paintings with their toes because they don't have arms. Yeah. And so they're like an artist and they create all the, or they cook, they open cans and they stir soup and pour them. I mean, it's incredible th- how they adapt to, to them. is the same as having arms. They don't even really know they don't have arms because they can do whatever they want with their feet That's or right. with their stub on their right side and their chin. They find a way, you know, because they want it. And That's so right. Yeah. How easy would it be just to flop into bed like a potato Oh, it's me. I don't have arms or legs, so I'm just going to lay here until I die, you know, and be pity myself and have people feel sorry for me. So it's it's the heart. It's the spirit that makes you, you know, have that drive to at whatever cost, whatever I have to do. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's right. And instead of just
0: caving and, and giving up, that's pretty cool. Now, my sister, she um, you don't know this. I'll share it. She's uh, 40. You to hear first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so she's, when well, I'm 47, so she's like 45. She's been in a wheelchair since she was in third grade. She developed, I think the medical term was pneumococcus meningitis. So it left her paralyzed from the neck down. She's had multiple brain surgeries. Long story short, let's fast forward. Uh, she left the house at 18, never came back. She... No use of arms or legs. Right, an electric wheelchair. She can now use her right arm, basically, just to steer the joystick to move the electric wheelchair. She was going to school full time at Canisius for accounting. Right, taking 18 credit hours. She was working full time. As a bookkeeper for a company, or doing customer service full time, forty hours a week, forty oh, hours a week, plus going to school full time. So when someone says to me that they can't find a job, I become incredibly disrespectful, and I'll say some. When I see people asking for money handouts on the freeway off ramp, I am just like, get a job, boom. Yeah, so I'm like, hey, listen, man, I'm not the guy that you should be asking. I said, I'm not going to give you money. I'll give you inspiration, but I'm not going to give you money because there's too many things, too many people in my life that have it worse than you. I said, you're very, very gifted. I said, you. I said, we've talked, we've had coffee. I'll have coffee with anyone. Sure. I'll treat them to coffee. I said, but considering my sister's circumstance, makes me believe that you can do it, and this is just a mindset shift. I'll let you, I'll give you an address so you can apply for jobs. I'll give you a phone number. And then when I get a call, I'll even do your resume for you. I'll take all the phone calls. You can use my address so no one knows that you're homeless. And I'll even give you clothes. And I've done that. I'll give you a suit, but I'm not going to give you money. I'll give you a job. I'm not going to give you money. I'll give you. Training, but I'm not going to give you money. I'll give you everything you need, but I'm not going to give you any money for whatever else. I said, if you want food, I'll buy you food. If you're thirsty, I'll buy you food or I'll buy you a drink. But I'm not going to give you money where I can't account for what you're going to do with it. So uh, exactly, I went when
1: I lived in San Diego years ago. There was a husband and wife and two kids and none of them had shoes on it was like summer but um i went and to the mcdonalds down the street and i got a, a couple of happy meals and bun- like cheeseburgers and french fries and shakes and stuff and br- sodas and brought them back to him and i tried i rolled my window down to hand them to the guy and his wife and he's like we don't want food we need money we don't want your food get money we need money and i just threw the stuff out the window and drove off now what i tell the people is Go back go to the grocery store down the street with a with a shopping cart and buy oranges with money that you collected today and come back up here tomorrow and sell those oranges for a slight profit or go get yourself a 5 gallon bucket and a squeegee and some windex and some paper towels and offer for 2 dollars to wash people's windshield offer a service because I'll do that every time if someone is offering me a service whether I need it or not they're not asking for a handout. They're yeah. not a beggar. They're offering to help me or give me a service in some
0: way for payment. Yeah. And so I'll always do that. Same here. If I hear someone playing music, I'll give them money. Yeah. yeah. Especially contributing when contributing in
1: some way. Yeah. And so it's it's worthy of, of money. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So I have uh, one or two more questions. Um, is there anybody... That you haven't rolled with that you really want
0: to. Yes, Gordon Ryan. Who's Gordon uh, Ryan? <laughs> uh, all right. I'm not gonna answer that question. I want you to <laughs> go home and do yeah, no no no. I want you to go home, do some research on who Gordon Ryan is. Down uh, Gordon yeah, Ryan. he's the uh the goat of no gi. So um I would like to roll with Gordon Ryan. Um Who do I like? Who do I want to to roll with? uh, Gordon Ryan, Craig Jones, um, Hoffa Mendez, uh, Braulio Estima, Mario Sperry, you guys invite
1: them all here at one time and just tag, have them tag team. Yeah. You? <laughs> yeah those are, uh, those are the guys that I would roll with uh, right there. Yeah. All right. Hopefully they're listening to your podcast. And so they <laughs> received the invitation to come to Gracie Lake Norman. Or let me come out there to hang out <laughs> with you guys, man. All High right. fives, fist bumps. We've, we've spent most of our time here. So we'll ask question. Um, Everybody knows about your jujitsu and knows about Gracie Lake Norman and knows about most stuff about you. What is something that you do when you're not here at the school or doing jujitsu or competing that you like to do that people might not know? Um, Well, take a look to your right.
0: No, not a skateboard. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. Didn't you? I heard a story about you cracking your noggin on the concrete. No, oh, that's, I keep my chin tucked. Never uh, crack, hit my head, but I uh, I took some uh, some bad slams. So uh, when Rated I was it young, on the padded floor out here. Yeah, no kidding. So I used to be a sponsored skateboarder uh, when I was younger, and I still keep it up. I'm 47, so I've been skating. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Renard Brown was a sponsored skateboarder yeah so um yeah so i've been skateboarding since i was nine and uh um yeah i mean we were hitting i was probably i would skate easily 14 15 hour days seven days a week uh yeah what's your hardest trick that you can do um man back then we would uh we do like 50-50 down handrails, you know, like basically grind down handrails. Or kickflip to a Nolly over a jump. Or yeah, flip. jump, you know, do like, uh, you know, I was more street, so I did a lot of, uh, jump ramps. So stair um, railings, yeah. stairs. Yeah, so I did that. So. I see these guys skateboarding,
1: jumping down 25-30 stairs with no helmets, They're... no teeth protection nothing they slam their skull on the ground and and they're moaning and 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 then 10 minutes later they go back up and do it again
0: you have to get back up and do it
1: again or they catch the railing between their legs from a free fall so pissed and you're like man i can do this or a credit card where the board you know goes between your legs when you're coming down and gives you a stamp
0: Yes. Uh, it's so, not a sport for me. <laughs> yeah, so skateboarding is something I still enjoy doing. Also, uh, photography. Um, I'm not doing the photography that I used to do, but I, uh, I'm getting back into it on behalf of my boys. So I do enjoy uh, skateboarding still. Uh, a lot of uh, photography. I'm sp- doing more black and white photography and also, thank you for mentioning it, uh, very, very big on uh, firearms uh, shooting everything. I had an opportunity to finally use a flamethrower. That was cool. So uh, thanks to Lakeshore Defense. Use a Defense. can of hairspray and a torch. It. No, no. This is one, a handheld, like, legit flamethrower. So Lakeshore Defense, uh, the guys here in Mooresville, uh, they have the most unusual things that you see and you're like, hey, I wonder if Yeah, they have it. And so, grenade uh, launcher. Oh my God, man. Yeah. Between Jim and uh, Mike, who run Lakeshore Defense, uh, it's absolutely amazing. It's like a candy land of uh, toys down uh, in the dungeon. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. So, those are the three things that I really do enjoy doing, man. That, and of course, I have my passion for coffee, uh, making different types of uh, coffee, Nista. (laughs) yes yeah so it's those things right there um yeah outside of that there's not much of anything else man it's just what do you need skateboards guns
1: cameras coffee and jujitsu that's a full full developed man yeah
0: full life yeah man so the um the experiences are fun you know these are uh, fun hobbies Uh, you ever gotten into drones
1: Drone photography, at all? no, no. I, I like have it. one. I will have to bring it up here and say it's pretty cool. The video, uh, video and, and pictures you can get from, you know, up above and and uh, have it like circle you when you're skateboarding and do a video. It's, oh yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. I have to try that out. Anything else you want to add or say before we
0: pull the plug? No, I'd say that uh, it's always been the, the people that are connected to me. Um, They get me. Uh, I always, I'd like to say that I'm not everyone's cup of tea because I can be very uh, upfront, very brass. Honest. Yeah, very honest. Uh, I use profanity and I'm never ever going to make them, I'm never ever going to apologize for that. That's who i am i tried to go on again you and goggins (laughs) yeah i tried i tried to actually take a like a three-month uh potty mouth break everyone here at the school was just like we liked you better Yeah. because i get all uptight so i just like you know being able to just use profanity uh, allows me it's a it's a verbal detox release and, and like i like it Great way
1: to get stress out and yeah. to make sure people get what you're saying, like how serious you are, how angry you are, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, man, just like. Tell Leanne to get a five-gallon water jug and use it as a swear jar.
0: Oh, <laughs> you my You guys God, can buy a new car in a year. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, I paid off the mortgages for all of Morrisville. <laughs> Here's $100 for yesterday. Sorry, Leo. So, no, I'd say the, um, I do, um I do like the idea that um there's freedom. There's freedom uh to be able to you know say and do the things that you wanna do you know, on your terms right there. I think that's freedom. And I just would encourage everyone to be free. Literally stop and being, vote for freedom. Yes, and you know, just you know, stop being hostage to your limiting beliefs, stop being hostage to someone else's expectations of what you should do in your world and in your life. Um, Set an example, be an inspiration for your uh, for your kids or for your wife or for your husband, um, for your friends who need hope, they need a light. And so it's like, all right, if it's, if it's not me, then who? Yeah, it's gonna be me. If not now, when? Yeah. If so, not me, who, exactly. Yeah. So screw it, man, do it. Uh, be an inspiration to a bunch of damn people who are going to pay it back tenfold. So be I'm a like, bright light in a very dark world.
1: Oh yeah, now crazy world. People need inspiration to keep going.
0: Yeah, so be it. Yeah, man. So outside of that, heck no, man. I'm just thinking, how do we, uh, you know, continue on with the high fives, fist bumps, and hugs, man? And if people aren't about the uh, the transformation, uh, if they don't want to uh, to thrive and help others to do it, I have a very very ultra short. Tolerance for that, and I'll make their uh, I'll make their situation around me miserable, where they're going to want to leave, cancel their membership. You're not a fit here. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah, and it's not to say uh, I'm anti cliques and cults and all that other garbage right there. I just want a community of people who can inspire and help each other get better, and they are, they're not they don't have that like that blame victim mentality. Like if something happens, I actually had a person say to me, "I never trained this guy." I never trained him So he leaves the school Trains at another school Gets his ass kicked And he said Renard never trained me I was like Yeah I never trained you I was like So And he goes Man the guy tapped me out Because I didn't learn anything I was like I never trained you. How is it my fault? I was like, I'm not getting my
1: ass kicked. I said, I can go anywhere, dude. I, I'm not going to get my ass kicked. It's but, like throwing spaghetti at a wall and then blaming
0: the spaghetti because it didn't stick to the wall. It's yeah, like touch You just didn't absorb it. Yeah, it's just like man. So people, you know, people. There's a certain vibe that I want to have around here, and that is, let's be around people who want to. They have a growth mentality. They want to be inspired. They want to inspire others. They want to push past uh the mediocre life that they have. They want to, you know, lose weight. They want to be healthy. You know, they want to live. And I always tell people, we have to get old together. And most people when they look when they listen to it, they're not listening to me when I say it. No, listen to me, man. We need to get old together. That means what's you the, can't die. What's the sign over the Um, locker room doors we rise by lifting others exactly yeah so we need to get old together man so if you are here if I can help you stay healthy longer You'll be able to hang out with your kids longer. You'll be able to have a better quality life. Uh, you'll inspire me. I'll inspire you. You know, we'll be able to do jiu-jitsu into our eighties and nineties. You know, having fun. Then, when it's our time, when we're on our deathbed, I say, screw memories, screw dreams. Or forget that. Wait, let me back up. I'll say, screw dreams. I create memories. The memories. is stuff that I've accomplished. Things that I've done, you know, I, you know, create realities. What are the things, you know? Everyone's a create substance. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, I want to. Oh, uh, it was always my dream to do this. Then do it, then, man. Why would you want to be on your deathbed with regrets? That's torture, right there. You lived a life of fear, and I'm like, no, screw it, dude, just go. You know. So I do things every day to try to inspire people. Like I take cold plunges. Yeah, you know, I don't enjoy, you know, cold. I do it because now it's like calluses your brain. Yeah, your like I, yeah, like I can do anything. I can jump in, you know, twenty-eight degree water multiple times and hang out underwater with a lid closed, you know, uh, in the dark. In the dark, you know, yeah. Twenty degree, twenty-eight you know, degree, thirty seconds underwater, holding your breath. Thanks to you, I don't take hot showers anymore. Hell yeah! It's not man. as
1: cold as thirty-two degrees, but you know it feels cold. When you, but the the more I do it, the less cold it feels when I get in. Yeah, and you feel you, warm you afterwards. To it, yeah. And you feel energized. I get in there after a long, hot day out working outside and you come home just like dragging ass and you get in that shower with that cold water, you know, hyphens because it's not cold like your water is but it's still it's cold cold it feels cold on you because we're 98.6 mm-hmm. degrees and the water's probably 60 Six, yeah and uh so i'm i'm excited to one day soon get in that tank oh yeah and experience now i've been in the water in the lake um off the back of the boat in the winter when it's probably 45 Ooh, i was nice. doing that like last winter Heck yeah. uh, um so I'm 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 building up to be ready for the
0: for the frigid air experience. Heck yeah, man! Or the Kenmore, whatever you got in there. No, and listen, the other thing too, I just want to say is, what an absolute honor it is to be able to hang out with you, talk with you, uh, and just learn more about you. Um, and I appreciate the time that you're taking, you know, out of your day uh, to do this. This is like a nice surprise. You're like, hey, man, I'm going to interview you. I'm like, oh, this would be cool. Yeah, this thanks is for nice. letting me. I, I, you know, I, I thought you'd say no. <laughs> I right. run the show around here. No, that's that's the other. <laughs> I should have known better. That's not you. You're like, sure, let's go for it. Yeah, don't. I don't like hierarchies. Yeah, I don't like hierarchies. That's why I think. Uh, it's important for other people to share knowledge regardless of, you know, where they are.
1: Who knows? Yeah.
0: Maybe from now on you'll have me do the shows.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and, and gentlemen. Hey. The co-host. Uh, <laughs> the
0: uh, Kevin and Renard
1: show, or The Renard and Kevin because
0: you're the yeah. founder. So, no, but that's uh, no, I'm, I'm really grateful uh, well, to thank be able you. to I'm share am story. For
1: everything you guys provide and the great environment here, the great school. I'm a, I'm a kind of a clean freak, organizational freak. And when you come in here, it's like something out of a magazine. It's so beautiful the way you guys have set this whole thing up. And um, just everybody that comes here is so cool and friendly. And you and Leanne are just, you both bring different things. (laughs) Two halves of the pizza that come together to make the whole thing. And it's just a great i'm so glad i found this place so heck yeah man here's to the future okay
0: yeah. hey guys so this is renard brown you're rolling real with renard thank you kevin for the awesome time my friend you gotta thank you you guys gotta go see you love you bye deuces thank you for rolling with us on another inspiring episode of rolling real with renard we hope that you've gained valuable insight and motivation today Remember, the power to transform your life is in your hands. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends, family, or anyone seeking positive change. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of others. So, continue rolling. We'll talk to you soon.